Some of you know that before I was working as a pastor here at Exodus, for three years before that, I worked for a GPS technology company. And uh, I learned a lot about GPS. And a lot of people talk about GPS or or think of GPS and don't really understand what's going on with GPS. But many people, when we think about GPS now, it's become as common as a cell phone to have this little device on your dash that uh, helps you get where you're going. Or we may think of it in smartphones. If we have a smartphone, a lot of times they have GPS built in. But GPS actually is this wonderful technology that is relying upon what is called the global positioning system that the United States military developed and put into place, and there are about 32 satellites that are orbiting our Earth at all times, and the GPS system as we know it needs 24 of those satellites to be online and operating at all times to cover North America, so that anytime you put in your little GPS device, where's the McDonald's, where's Starbucks, how do I get to Grandma's, any of those things, it's able to tell you that information. And so basically, you have to be able to see three satellites at any one time to get an accurate GPS location. And if you have more satellites, then you even get a better location. But the amazing thing about the global positioning system and these gadgets that we have it's almost become embarrassing to become lost now, hasn't it? Because we have all this technology at our fingertips. And the beautiful thing that GPS does for us is it tells us where we are, it tells us the direction that we're going, and it tells us how to get to a desired place, wherever it is that you're wanting to go. And it's this wonderful, beautiful technology. When I think about that technology, and I, and I, and I relate it to our relationship with God and in the spiritual world, the same thing becomes true in a spiritual sense that don't all of us want to know where we're at and what direction we're heading and how to get to this place that in our minds we think we want to go towards? Wouldn't it be great if somehow we could figure out how to, to get where we're going, how there was a clear path, how there, there was something like a little display that would come up and say, proceed 23 miles, turn right at exit 23, and somehow we would end up in this place that we want to end up spiritually. All of us kind of desire that because we have questions to God about our lives and we wish that there was a really simple, easy way to find the answer to those questions. We have examples like, you know, where should I go to college? Or God, should I take this job or not? Or w should we buy a house in that neighborhood or, or this neighborhood? And w we go through life, we have all of these questions that come up and, and we want God's input on them. And we try to figure out, is this the right decision? Is that the right decision? Which way should I go? Which decision should I make? And it would be wonderful if there was a really simple, easy way to figure all that out. Now, at Exodus, sometimes you hear me or Matt talk about this value that we have called hear and respond, that, that we believe that, that we listen to God and that God does speak and that we can hear him, and then it is our goal that we would respond appropriately to the promptings and, and the messages and the, and the voice of God that, he, that he's, he's telling us. So essentially, hear and respond is listening for God's will, and when you find God's will, following God's will. And like many of you, I want to be the kind of person, and many of you want to be the kind of person that is so in tune with God that when he speaks or whispers or prompts, 
they were able to recognize that voice, that prompting, that whisper, and then were able to respond and act and follow. So today we're going to start this message series called Discovering God's Will, which is all about hearing and responding. And the goal over the next three weeks is to look through God's word and to find some helpful tools and practices and passages that will give us the wherewithal, give us the abilities, the skills to hear God's voice and then respond to God's voice. So the premise of what I'm going to talk about over the next three weeks is this, that God cares about you, that God does have a plan for your life, and you can find and know and follow that plan. And there's a lot of confusion and frustration sometimes when it comes to this thing we call God's will, finding it and knowing it. Because some people think of God's will as like a magic eight ball. Like that God's got this somehow crazy thing when you ask a question, you just turn it over and the answer comes up. But, but God's will is really not like a magic eight ball. Other times we think of God's will as being like a pinata. Like we're blindfolded and we've got this stick and we're just like walking around trying to hit it. And if we get lucky enough, we hit the pinata and all the candy and the prizes and the treasure jumps out and then we take our blindfold off and we get this treasure. But discovering God's will really is not like a pinata either. None of these examples are even close. Today we're gonna look at a verse two verses actually in the Old Testament. They're going to give us a more clarity on God's will. And I want you, if you have your Bible, to turn to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 and 6. And it's a passage that some of you may be familiar with, but I think it's going to teach us a lot about God's will and how we can discover and follow God's will. Now, as you're turning there, let me give you a little background. The book of Proverbs is a book of wise sayings and spiritual principles to live by. It was written by a man named Solomon, who we are told was a very wealthy man, was the wisest man that ever lived. And what I want you to see this morning is that from this passage, what we're going to find out is that following God's will, discovering God's will, this plan for our life is not elusive and it's not mystical at all. In fact, God does have a plan for us, and we are the ones who make God's plan complicated. It's not God. It's not like he's doing some kind of trick that we have to somehow unveil. We are the ones who usually mess up or, or don't discover or don't see the trees for the forest of God's will that's right in front of our lives. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We're going to read it all together, and then we're going to slowly unpack it phrase by phrase and see what it says. This is what we read. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on, lean on your, I'm sorry, I'm going to start that all over. I totally butched that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So that's a passage that a lot of us have heard before, but let's just take a little time and unpack it and see how it relates to God's will. The very first four words, trust in the Lord, means that you and I are to acknowledge that there is a higher power in this world. There is a higher power that created us, that, that is in control of the world, and that actually knows what is best for us. And even though sometimes we live in this world and we think we know what's best for us, trusting in the Lord is acknowledging that, you know what, there is a God and there is a creator. 
And he does know, he loves me, he cares for me, and he actually knows more about what is good for me than I do. I like the way Rick Warren puts it. He's a pastor in uh, Orange County, California. He says, if you think God is your co-pilot, then you're in the wrong seat. Because trusting in the Lord means that God is not your co-pilot. It means that God is the one who is actually piloting, that you are following God. You're not taking suggestions from God. You're not fielding input from God. You are trusting in the Lord that there is a higher power that knows more about you, that loves you, that, that knows what's best for you, wants what's best for you, and you basically are acknowledging that. So that's the first step in discovering God's will. Then Solomon goes on to write, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do you ever wish there were things that weren't in the Bible? That would be something that I would say it would be nice if it wasn't in the Bible. The word all. If the word all is not in there, it makes it a whole lot easier, right? Trust in the Lord with most of your heart. Or trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Or trust in the Lord occasionally with your heart. But that's not what it says. It says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So God shares his will with those who trust him with all of their heart and lean not on your own understanding. And we're going to talk about this more in in the coming weeks. But you and I can't always depend on our intellect, our wisdom, our minds, our gut feeling, our emotions. We can't always depend on those to make the best decisions and to help us find God's will. Because you can't always lean on what makes sense to you or what culture tells you is acceptable. Your trust in the Lord means being obedient to God even at times when it doesn't quite make sense. Even at times when it doesn't quite feel right. Trusting in Him and leaning on Him without our own understanding. And then the passage goes on to say, in all your ways, and there's that stinking word again, all, In other words, trust God completely and in every decision, in every category of your life, everything that you do, you're going to trust him. And as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, God doesn't reveal his will to part-time people. He he, he only reveals his will to those of us who, in all of our ways, that we will acknowledge God. And discovering God's will for our lives simply means that we have to trust him. In other words, the best way I can put it is that you're all in. I mean, when God says, when you're all in, you you will discover my will when you're all in. When you're partially in, uh, maybe not. That's where it gets cloudy. That's where it gets difficult. That's where we have a hard time hearing and responding. And then Solomon says to acknowledge him. In other words, lean on God. Trust on God. Know that he is going to be there for you. Now, having four kids, I have done my share of teaching children how to ride bicycles without training wheels. And I would say as a dad, that was one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I was always looking forward to my kids when they got old enough that we could take those training wheels off. And of course, my wife is always like, honey, they're only two years old. And I'm like, two years old, they can ride a bike without training wheels. Dads are always like, you know, we're always pushing our kids. We want our kids to be the first ones in the neighborhood that can ride their bike without the training wheels. But I can remember, you know, we raised the training wheels up for a while, and then finally we take them off. And whenever we would go through that and take the wheels off, I would hold onto the back seat and every one of my kids would say, now you're not going to let go, daddy, right? You're, you're holding on, daddy. And I would say, I'm holding on, I'm holding on. And they would be 
kind of getting wobbly and they would look back, you're holding on, aren't you, daddy? And I'm like, I'm holding on, I'm holding on. And and they would start to pedal and be kind of weary that I was not going to be back there. But you know, that type of relationship and that kind of trust, as childish as it is, is the same way in which God asks us to trust him. Riding that bike without those training wheels and knowing that his hand is right there on the seat and he's running behind us and we can trust him and acknowledge him. And then in the verse, there's a beautiful thing that happens in this passage. After all of these things, there's a promise. And it's an if-then promise. It's a if you do these things, if you trust in the Lord, if you do it with all your heart, if you don't lean on your own, own understanding, if you acknowledge him, then he will make your path straight. And what does that mean? It means that God will be with you in this life, that he does have a plan and and his plan will be revealed and you will be able to see it and you'll be able to hear it and you will be able to respond to it. It doesn't mean your life is gonna be easy. It doesn't mean that you're never gonna have difficulties. It doesn't mean that everything's gonna go your way. It doesn't mean that every job is gonna work out, that every relationship that that you're in is only going to be happy and and joyful and there's never gonna be hard times, bad times, difficulties disease, illness. It doesn't mean those things, but it does mean that there will be a God that will be with you and will walk with you every step of the way. And when the dust settles, you have the promise that God is there to support you, encourage you, and assist you as you walk in your daily life. Now, I want to take God's will now, after we've looked at that verse, and I want to break it down into a couple categories, because today, if we understand the categories of God's will, it's going to help us understand a little bit better on how we can discover it. So the first component of God's will is God's providential will. God's providential will is the things that God is going to do that will not change, and he's going to do them because he is God, and no matter what we do, what we decide, how hard we pray, none of those things, they will always be that way because God has decided that they're going to be that way. Let me give you some examples. The example would be, one would be the plan of salvation, that God says that we can have eternal life through Christ, through the blood of Jesus, by accepting him with faith. That is just God's providential will. It doesn't matter if you agree with it, if you don't agree with it, it's not going to change, it's just the way that it is. The return of Christ, when we look through the New Testament, God says that at some point Jesus was going to come physically back to the earth. There's nothing that any of us can do to change that. We may not like it. We don't know when it is. However we feel about it, it's part of God's providential will. It's just what God has chosen to do and will do. Let me give you a couple other examples. In Galatians chapter four, verses four and five, we read, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. God has made that part of his providential will. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, we read that every person at some point when they take their last breath here on earth will face a judgment in front of the Father. And that's just the way that it's going to be. God says that's the way it's going to be. Nothing that we say or do is ever going to change that. That's God's providential will. And they are things that are not dependent on our obedience. They're not dependent upon our faith. They 
whether we act or believe them or whatever, they are just going to be that way. And the more that you and I become familiar with what God is doing and what God is up to, it's going to be easier for us to discover God's will for our lives when we understand his providential will. So that's the first component of God's will, okay? It's providential will. The second component is the moral will of God. Now, the moral will of God is the way that God would like for us to act and behave. Examples would be the Ten Commandments. When we read those in the Bible, those are things that God put in there to help us know how to live and how to act and behave. The Bible is full of examples of that. So we don't have to ask questions like, well, I wonder if I should lie. Well, you don't have to ask that question because God has already answered it in in his word. You know, if you're low on money, should I, maybe God wants me to rob a bank, you know, because I don't have enough to cover the mortgage this month. You don't have to ask yourself that question because God would never contradict himself. His moral will, the things that he tells us that, that are listed to, to live by in the Bible, sometimes we look at them as uh, maybe being restrictive, but God actually puts them in place for our own protection and because of love. It's almost like a parent who uh, t- tells your son, you know, you don't touch something that's hot. You don't walk to the edge of the steps. You don't do those things. Why? Is it because you don't want your little boy to not have fun? No, it's because you know that those things are going to be destructive. So God's moral will is the things that he has asked of us on how we should behave and how we should act couple other examples. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. 1 Peter 2.15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. And so sometimes as a pastor, you get people that um, kind of figure out what they want to do. They're just looking for the justification of it. So they come and ask you things. You know, they ask you questions, like somehow like they're looking for that loophole because it's like, yeah, I know maybe the Bible says I shouldn't do that, but there's got to be some kind of loophole for me to justify it. I mean, I've had people come up to me and, and ask me, they've been in a marriage and their marriage is difficult. And they said, well, what, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about getting a divorce because maybe I think God wants me to be happy. I'm like, that's interesting that you say that because it never says in the Bible that you're supposed to be happy when you're married all the time and that somehow if you're not, then God's going to justify it because he wants you to be happy, of course, is what we would think. And so we ask questions about God's will. People will say, like, I don't know, you know, giving 10% of my money, like sharing a tithe, that's a lot of money. That, that's a lot of money. I can't believe that God would want me to actually give up that much money and only live on 90%. It's like, I, what are you wanting from me as the pastor? You want me to say, oh, well, I, I got this special exempt card for you. Like, I can hand it to you. But no, God's will and God's word is pretty clear on the moral will of God. God has already answered those questions. We may not like the answer to the question, but God has already, already addressed them. So the more familiar that you and I become with the moral will of God, the easier it is for us to discern the third part of God's will, and that is the personal will of God. And that is God's input on matters of choice. And when we think about God's will, that's often what we think about. Do I take that job? Do I marry that person? 
Do I move to this city or that city? Should I buy a new car or should I keep my old car? Should I be a stay-at-home mom? Should I keep my job? Uh, A lot of those questions that we have. And the good news is that God is interested in those questions. I mean, we may think, okay, God's real busy. He doesn't have, he doesn't have time to deal with, you know, my little petty things. But no, God is very concerned about those questions. Let me give you a, a couple examples, Val. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1-1, we read that God wanted Paul to be an apostle. God wanted that. It wasn't Paul said, you know what? I think I'm going to be an apostle. God wanted him to be an apostle. In 1 Peter 4-19, God wanted the Christians to suffer. That was his will, that they would endure hardships. God's moral and providential will all work together so that we can understand his personal will. Now, here's the main point that I'm going to share right now, and if you've been asleep or you haven't paid attention, this is a point where you should, like, listen, because I'm going to drive everything that we've talked about home, okay? And, And this applies, this is very practical to us. The more familiar that you become with God's providential will, and the more obedient you become to God's moral will, the easier it will be for you to discover his personal will. Are you following me? The more you understand his providential will, the things that God's just going to do because he is God, the more you understand that, and the more you are obedient to the moral will, those things that he has asked you, things of behavior, the way that we're supposed to live, the more that you're obedient to that, the easier it is going to be for you to hear and discover and see and find the personal will of God. My father-in-law, Bill Kramer, is here today, and uh, he let me borrow this. This is one of his favorite things right here that I have today. Now, raise your hand if you know what this is. Okay, perhaps we have some people that know what, what this is. What, what is this? A plumb bob, right. It is a plumb bob. And so if, uh, if you build things or you are a carpenter or you're building a home or you're doing different things, a plumb bob is kind of an old school technology way before lasers and GPS and high tech levels and all these things that a carpenter would find what would be level, or in this, in this example, perpendicular. So they would start building, like say, a building or a home and hang this, and everything in that house, every 90-degree angle, every horizontal plane would be built off of this because of gravity pulling it down, it is always telling you what is perpendicular. So whatever is 90 degrees to this is always completely level. So it... it it's called a plumb bob, and that's what carpenters for hundreds of years, thousands of years, have used to figure out what is the source that I can look to that I know that everything else hinges from to make something level. Now, when you think about God's providential will and God's moral will, it's very much like a plumb bob for discovering God's personal will. That if you're in line with God's providential will, and you're in line with God's moral will, then finding God's personal will becomes much, much simpler. In fact, finding God's personal will, if you're not in line, aligned 
with the providential and the moral can become impossible, and then everything can look skewed. And, and you know if you're building a house or you're building something, and once you get one thing off, one wall is off, everything else just becomes, we would say, un, untrue or unlevel or out of alignment. So God's providential will, God's moral will, like the plumb bob to discovering God's personal will. That, that's like the best way that I can think of, of describing it. And so many times we're trying to find God's personal will, but we're not so interested in the moral will and the providential will. We just want to know what the personal will is. And that's where the difficulty becomes in understanding it. Several years ago, uh, Pam was working full-time at uh, a daycare. She was a director at a daycare at the church that I was working at. And uh, we had this time where we were trying to figure out if she should stop working. We'd had our fourth child and she had worked, but we were kind of both sensing that uh, maybe it was time that she stayed home with, with our kids. And exactly what I'm talking about, finding the personal will of God, her and I spent time thinking and praying and realizing that, you know what, instead of just asking God that, we have to make sure that we come in line with the providential and the moral will of God before we're ever going to find the personal will of God. Now, to me, sometimes I, I call this the eating your vegetables principle, because when I was a kid, my mom would make vegetables, and then she would also make a strawberry pie. Now, I was interested in the strawberry pie. I wasn't interested in the eggplant, the zucchini, and the okra. Okay, I just wanted the strawberry pie. But my mom would make me eat the eggplant, zucchini, and the okra before I could have the strawberry pie, which I thought was cruel and unusual punishment. But as a parent now, I kind of see the point in it. I kind of understand that, okay, I do have to eat my vegetables. That is an important thing. And when we look at God's will and we try to find his personal will, there is that eating your vegetables part that we may not always like, but the eating your vegetables part is the providential and moral will of God that we must become in line with before we will ever see or discover God's personal will for our life. Because God doesn't reveal his personal will until we bring ourselves under his authority. And here's why. Let me tell you why that's the case. The real issue is not God's unwillingness to communicate to us. That, that's not the point. The real struggle is on our unwillingness to follow through. You see, many times I want to know God's personal will for my life. I want to know, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I take this job? Should I move here? What should I do? Should my wife uh, go back to work? Should she stay home? All of these things, these questions that we have. And you know why I want to know God's input on it for consideration. Not that I'm actually going to do it. Not that I'm actually going to follow it. But I just want his opinion on things. And when we, when we think of it that way, that's where it becomes so tricky and we feel like maybe God's not listening. Maybe, maybe we're not able to, to, to hear him. It's not clear or the, the radio's not tuned in because God is not interested in sharing his will that way. We want to say, God, I, I want to know your will so that I can consider whether to follow it or not. God, I'm really interested in your advice so that I can decide whether I want to do that or not. And God says, no, 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 no. That is not the way that it works. God doesn't give information for consideration or contemplation. He gives it for participation. 
And the thing is, he knows beforehand whether we're going to participate or not. So when, when we seek God's will just so that we can consider it as a possible option, God's like, no, 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 I, I, it doesn't work that way. It, it works when you finally get yourself in a point where you're willing to listen to my will and do what I say, no matter what it is that I say and tell you, that's when you will discover God's will for your life. God is interested in his will being acted upon, not thought about. And many times we want to think about it. We don't want to act upon it. So God waits until you're at the point where you say, God, I don't care what the answer is. I don't care what you tell me. Whatever it is, I am willing to obey. I am willing to follow. I am willing to hear you. And then I am going to respond. And when we get to that point, when you get to that point in your life, you will hear God loud and clear. In 2006, I, was, I had worked at a church in Evansville, Indiana for 13 years, and for about a year, I had felt that God was saying, there's going to be another assignment for you, Dan. And I was like, okay, uh, I might be up for another assignment, and I never heard what the assignment was going to be. And I kept thinking, God, you know, I, I thought I felt like you were going to tell me there was going to be another assignment. And when you tell me what it is, then I'll tell you if I'm going to do it or not. And I kept getting this sense that, okay, but you've not told me what it is yet. And me and God went back and forth for like 12 months and kind of argued. And I, I was in a situation, I was serving at a church. It was comfortable. It was a great church. Things were going right, great. I could have just kept doing that. But I kept sensing God was saying, I'm going to give you another assignment. I'm going to give you another assignment. Now, I was thinking, if it's someplace really cool and it's like a great opportunity, I'm all for it. But if, you know, you're going to send me to the Congo and like, you know, working with people that speak different languages halfway around the world, then, you know, I might just stay in my little comfortable job and keep doing what I'm doing. And all along the time, I finally, I was so hard-headed, I finally got the sense that God was saying, I'm not going to tell you what it is until you are ready to do it. And I kept thinking, well, I'm not sure I'm going to do it until you tell me what it is. And so we kind of went back and forth, we went back and forth, we went back and forth. And I remember finally coming to the point of going, you know what, God? Okay, I surrender. I will do what you tell me to do. If that means moving, if that means, if that means going halfway around the world, if that means changing careers, I don't even know what it means. I have no clue. But I am willing to hear and I will respond to what you say. And it was at that point that God started unveiling what that next assignment for me was going to be. But he didn't do it until I got to that point. And it took me a while. It wasn't that God was cloudy. It wasn't that God was mystical. It wasn't that he wasn't being clear. It was that I wasn't willing to come in line with the providential will, the moral will of God, and then say, God, I am willing to follow you and trust you with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding, but acknowledge you and know that you will make my path straight. When I came to that point is when the will of God started becoming crystal clear. Because God loves to share his will for us, but he doesn't give information for consideration or contemplation. He gives it for participation. That's why God shares his will. And the problem isn't that God isn't clear. The problem is he knows whether or not you or I will listen to him. And when we're at a point where we're bought in and we will listen to him, he will share his will. Now, when you came in on your chair, you saw 
there was a post-it note. Or maybe you didn't notice there was a post-it note, but I want you to take that post-it note off the back of your chair now for a second, because this is kind of the homework portion of our teaching time. I want you, whether you know it right away or you need to take some time to think about it, I want you to think about a question that you have been asking God about, okay? A question about his will. God, I'm trying to figure out what? I'm trying to figure out this part of my life. I'm trying to figure out this relationship. I'm trying to figure out this career plan. I'm trying to figure out whether I should do this or, or, or not do that. And I want you to figure out what that question is that you have for God. And here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to, when you, when you figure it out, I want you to write it down on that little post-it note, whether it's now or in a few minutes or maybe it's later. And I want you to take that post-it note and put it somewhere for the next two weeks. That can be in your car, on your computer screen, in your wallet, on your bathroom mirror, uh, wherever it works for you that you will run into it at least on a daily basis. And right after that question, write the verse Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. And here's what I want you to do. Every day I want you to think about that question and think about that verse. Maybe read that verse every day. Or, or, or if you have it memorized, know what that verse is saying. But over the next two weeks, if you will do that, here's what I am guaranteeing. If you will do that, the clarity to the answer to that question will begin to be revealed to you. And if you will align yourself with God's providential will and his moral will, he is going to begin to help you answer that question, whatever it is, however big, however small, whatever it is for you, that question. And what I want you to do is be able to see the beauty of discovering God's will and hearing and responding. Now, let me give you a couple action steps, some application to help you in that process as you start that. Two things I want to ask you to do. First, what action step do you need to take to become more familiar with God's providential will? Because if you need to become more in tune with his providential will, what are some practical steps that you need to take? It's just not going to happen through osmosis, okay? It just won't, like, happen. So knowing God's providential will, that may mean that you need to spend more time reading your Bible, that you need to commit to every day taking a time and sitting down and reading your Bible and praying. That may mean that you need to find some kind of study guide to help. That may mean that you need to get with a group of people and meet and talk about God's word. It's not going to happen automatically, but what action step do you need to take to align yourself more with God's providential will? And the second one is what action step do you need to take to align yourself with God's moral will? And that may mean you need to start something, stop something, quit something, do something different, quit being around those people, be more around these people. I don't know what it looks like for you. But if you ask yourself that question, I think God will give you the action step on what it means to know God's moral will. What is it in your life, the action step that you need to take? And even if you don't understand why, I think that sometimes with God's moral will, it's like we want to know why. God says, you know, okay, I'm just throwing this out. This relationship is not good for you. We want to know why. God, tell me why. I need to know why. There's a lot of times in the Bible where people did things that God asked them to do that they didn't know why. When Mo 
Moses threw his stick down and God told him to throw his staff down. He didn't know why. And, and God took it and turned it into a snake. And, and then God showed him his power. Moses was like, wow, well, you just told me. If you would have told me if I throw my stick down, it would have turned into a snake. I probably would have done it a lot sooner than I did. Or when you think of Joshua marching around the walls of Jericho, and, and you had to be thinking at times that thought, well, this is pretty silly, God. And then God brought the walls down. When Noah built a boat as big as a football field, and people thought he was crazy, he may have thought he was crazy, and yet when it started raining and raining and raining and raining, it all of a sudden made sense. Because God's moral will may not always make sense to us. Why does he ask us to live this way? Why does he ask us to behave that way? But if we trust him with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge him, the promise is he will make your path straight. And I, as your pastor, want you to experience that. I want you to know that. I want you to be able to discover God's will and live within that. But it's only going to happen when you become obedient to the moral will and you understand his providential will. So write down your question, put it in a prominent place for the next two weeks, and over the next two weeks, we're going to continue to talk about discovering God's will. Let me pray for you. Father God, um, I thank you um, that you love us all enough, that you have a plan for our lives. And I thank you that you care about us enough that you make this plan uh, very perfect. I thank you that you have a providential will, that you are a God that's big enough to, to, to put things in place, even if we don't understand them, even if we don't agree with them, but knowing and trusting that they're best. And God, I thank you that you have a moral will within your word that teaches us a way to behave that we may not always like and we may rebel against and have rebelled against and will rebel against, but knowing that in your wisdom, it is the best way for us to live. And thank you for your personal will and knowing that you care. You care about the small details of our lives. You care about the, about whether we should take this class or that class. You care about whether we should apply for this promotion or that promotion. You, you care whether we should put our house up for sale or, and, and, and get a bigger one. You care for us whether we, we should drive our same minivan for eight years or we should take on a car payment and get another one. All of those questions and millions of more, you care about them, God. You are that kind of personal God which we say thanks. Father, help us to um, make our path straight by coming in line with you and discovering your will for our lives and knowing and believing and trusting that it is the best way to live. And we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And we say this prayer in his name. Amen.